This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for tuning in. We're back in 2 Thessalonians today, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul begins here in verse 1. He says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. Uh, so someone had tried to convince the Thessalonians that Jesus had already returned um, and some of the brethren there evidently believed it and they had been tricked. And so Paul is setting the record straight right away. This is one of the things he, he needed to address in this church. He had warned them previously, remember, in the first letter to examine all things carefully and hold fast to what is good, abhor what is evil uh, in chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. And so this is a doctrine that had not been vetted uh, properly, and it wound up deceiving a lot of people. And therein is a reminder how we need to be reoriented toward the truth. And this is a significant part of what it means to follow Christ, right? This not that you just cross a threshold and you've got it all figured out, but no, it's a continual examination of things that are said and taught and of your own heart and life and teaching. And so it's um, it's like the cycle. It's a or progression in, of repenting and confessing and recommitting to his teaching daily when we find ourselves no longer aligned with it. You know, if we have an off-color thought or we say something without thinking or, you know, something in our behavior does not fit his example and we're convicted by the truth of his teaching, well, then we... We pray and we repent and confess, and then we we try to get it right. And when we stop doing that, when we stop vetting ourselves and we fail um, to examine ourselves, it, it leads to you know adopting any number of things that are destructive. And this is just one example of many in uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Paul describes such individuals as unstable in different places. Peter does also in 2 Peter 3. Um, Paul will give us a picture in Ephesians 4 of someone who's tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You've probably heard that passage many times, but it's a picture of immaturity, right? It's, it's, it's instability. It's someone who is gullible and easily tricked because they're not grounded in the truth and they are not exercising the necessary discipline to uh, make sure they are still aligned with, with the truth. And so we have to heed the warning. And Paul reveals the truth of the matter. He's explaining that Jesus will not return until, he says in verses 3 and 4, if you pick up, uh, Jesus will not return until the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Uh, so there's a, a lot that's been said about this apostasy that Paul is, is speaking of here and of the specific individual named as the son of destruction or man of lawlessness. And 
you know, I'll, I'll leave further investigation to you. You know, there's a host of obviously, you know, commentaries and people's thoughts about this. But for me, as I read through this text, you know, I'll offer you my thoughts. I'm I'm unaware of any one single individual who exclusively fulfills all of Paul's criterion. But I think there are numerous individuals throughout history uh, who have arisen, who fit this description, and I suspect that there will be more more to come. Um, of some leaders, sectarians will say, for example, of a pope that he presides over the universal church from his place upon Christ's cross. Okay, so that's one that's that's just one description of a man uh, whom this person uh, adores to the point where they're saying, okay, he is ruling from the cross of Christ. And in uh, this individual would not, you know, diminish what his follower is saying in, in any way, but accept this description and and adoration. And that just is off. That's just off the chain to me. And I think it's one of many descriptions that fits what Paul is describing here in Second Thessalonians. Um, another example would be uh, that it's absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman Pontiff. Uh, that was said by Pope Boniface the Eighth in his Unum Sanctum that he wrote. Uh, many, many years ago. Uh, so th- think about that. Here's an individual who's declaring, if you want to go to heaven, right? If, you, if you're going to be saved from the wrath of God, then you need to be subject to me. And that's that's just a guy saying that. <laughs> Again, it's just, it is, it's unreal. You know, the, the level of, I guess, pomp or pride that people are capable of. There's, there's no, um, there's no highest point or lowest point, I guess, however you want to look at it. There's no limit. Um, again, one will say, have no fear when people call me the vicar of Christ or when they say to me, Holy Father or Your Holiness or use similar titles as these, which seem even inimical to the gospel. So there's another individual who's saying, someone wants to call me uh, the vicar of Christ or one who's in the place of Christ or Your Holiness or uh, Holy Father, don't, uh, you know, don't bat an eye about, don't, you know, don't trouble yourself over that, even though it seems like it's opposed to the gospel. Um, One individual says that the Bible is so full of errors, one can hardly believe a word in it. That's another sectarian as he's trying to exalt his, um, his teaching and his, his doctrine. Uh, here's a, here's a quote from another individual named Joseph Smith. He says, I have more to boast of than any other, any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. Which is interesting. The church is a, as a new Testament institution, but neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I, the followers of Jesus ran away from him but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. So, again, I don't think that there's a single individual who captures exclusively all the 
traits that Paul is describing here of a man of lawlessness, but I think there have been many in history that have arisen who put themselves in the place of God and proclaim to be God, and in that last case, elevating himself even above God, right? Some of Jesus' followers ran away from him, he says, but mine haven't run away from me. Uh, and he would that same individual would go on to say that the keys of this kingdom uh, shall not be taken from you while you are in this world, neither in the world to come. Uh, so he is he, he's citing that as a as what God spoke to him, right? So he's kind of echoing the words, or he, he's not kind of he is echoing the words of Matthew sixteen when Jesus said that the keys of the kingdom uh, would be given to. Peter and, and the apostles, and they would reveal what had been revealed in heaven previously. Uh, so here's here's again this individual making these just audacious claims, uh, boastful, and it's it's all a lie, right? If you go back and, and do your research and you examine their teachings carefully, you'll understand and see that this isn't this isn't acceptable. None of it aligns with the Bible. So I know that those are just a few sound bites from different psychopaths who could easily fit the mold of the son of destruction in 2 Thessalonians 2. But there's two things that I really want to single out from the text, and that is whoever this individual is, and whenever he appears or whatever form he takes, um, if he hasn't already, um, that or if he isn't just an archetypal representative, um, it says in verse 8, Whoever he is, the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Uh, so he's on the side of defeat, obviously, as terrible as this individual is going to be and as many as he might deceive or has deceived, um, he will ultimately be held accountable. There's a reckoning coming. And also, secondly, verses 10 and 11 that we read that those who perish along with him will be those who refuse to, um, who love the truth so as to be saved. We actually didn't read that. Let's go back and read um, verses 9 through 12. It says that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, so second point from that is that those who share his fate, share his destruction, will be those who refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And those who are, are given to their delusions or who God has handed over to their delusions because of their love for unrighteousness. Uh, so this prophecy ends up being a warning and an exhortation for us to shore up our love for truth and our, our knowledge of the truth uh, so that we, um, you know, we don't fall prey to the manipulative, deceitful, pseudo-religious teachers out there who are, you know, not even pseudo-religious, they're just outright there to deceive people and gain a following for themselves, right? Let's just let's just be honest. That's what's playing out and has for a long time. Uh, and there's you know no shortage of examples. So you know we 
we do that knowing that the threat is real and it concerns us. Again, it's not like we've crossed this threshold and okay, and we're invulnerable and we don't have anything to worry about now. Uh, no, there's there's still much work to do, and we're still in the fight, or at least we should be, um, boldly standing for truth. <clears throat> and finally, Paul says in verses 13 through 15, we should always give thanks to God for you, brothers, uh, brothers and sisters beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in uh, the truth. Uh, just a brief note there in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 13, sanctification um, by the Spirit. Your Bible might say in the Spirit, uh, and there's no definite article there. So uh, it's it's true that we're sanctified through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, but it's also true that we're personally sanctified. Uh, slight nuance in meaning there. It was is for this he calls you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So to be chosen by God and remain chosen, this is the language that Paul used, God's chosen you from the beginning. To, to be in that category of people um, is to be continually sanctified in our spirit through the truth, through faith in, in the truth. Um, and if you want to understand that verse, just to me, well, sanctified by the Holy Spirit and, and our spirit through the truth, it's it ultimately comes back to the same thing, right? It is the Holy Spirit's means of sanctifying us is his truth, is, is the word. And that's what Jesus prayed for, right? He might be thinking of his words in John 17, 17, where he said, Father, sanctify them, in your truth, your word is is truth. Uh, and this is no different than what Paul had previously said to them in the first letter when he says that the word of God that these Christians received is at work in them who believe in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And so there's this uh, there's these caveats here. So we have, you know, if we just kind of reverse engineer, we go backwards again to be chosen, to be beloved by God, God is to be sanctified, and that comes through one's faith and one's belief in the the truth. Uh, there's a beautiful consistency here, but again, I want to drive home the point that there is a responsibility that you and I have, and that is to trust and obey. That's what faith faith is biblically defined. Um, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, you believe who he says he is, you take him at his word, you trust in his his promises, and then you do something about it, right? You, you diligently seek him. That is faith. Uh, and as you as you do that, and as you pursue God in the spiritual disciplines of studying His Word and praying for understanding and drawing near to Him in prayer and in worship with His people, you will be sanctified. That is, made holy or continually set apart. You become more like Him. You become more like His Son, transformed into the image of, of Christ. This is His means of, of doing that for us. But it doesn't happen apart from honest and humble submission from from the heart on your part and on mine. So 
you know, why do people wander off and follow the Joseph Smiths and the Vernon Howes and the Popes and the Mary Baker Eddies of the world? It's it's pretty straightforward. Um, they're deceived, right? They're not grounded in the truth, and so they're vulnerable. Uh, they're tossed to and fro. They're easily taken advantage of. In short, they just they don't know and study the Bible. Uh, and 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 don't obey the Bible, you know. Why do folks join uh, whatever church has the best flavor of coffee or ice cream or band or the nicest building? Uh, they don't read and study their Bibles, right? And so everything is everything is fleshly appraised. Everything is still seen from that worldly human perspective. Um, and God is saying, uh, "Be be done with that. I want to change you." from the inside out, and I want to change how you see yourself and how you see the world and show you who I want you to be. Uh, but the moment that we relinquish a, a desire for that, you know, we leave ourselves open uh, to all sorts of attacks. You know, why do brethren once formerly, who, who we thought of as stalwart in the faith, why would they put up with a preacher now who is preaching error and who is being divisive? And is, as Paul said in Acts 20, he's drawing away disciples after himself. Same answer. They don't, they don't study and obey their Bibles. Either they, they don't know because they haven't been taught or they haven't made their own efforts, or they, or they do know and they're just refusing to follow through. But either way, they're culpable. And... You, you know, you read, I mean, the Thessalonians were obviously victimized, but Paul doesn't, he doesn't take any culpability away from them in, in that it was sad and it was tragic what had happened to them. And he wrote to them to straighten out these these matters, you know, this one in particular and, and, and others. Um, but even if they had been duped, they were, they were still responsible for coming out of that error. You know, so... You know, ignorance isn't bliss. In other words, you can't you can't just declare, "Well, I didn't know any better. I was taken advantage of." Well, that that may be the case. You, I mean, that is the nature of deception. Uh, but even if you were deceived uh, and you were sincerely wrong, that you're still you're still wrong. And so we have to make we have to make time to. Study and know the Word of God. Jesus says, Any man wishes to know my Father's will, um, he, he will know it. I'm paraphrasing in John what his words in John chapter 7. Uh, but his point is, is that if you make it your business to know, God will see to it that you, that you discover it, right? The promise is, if you seek, you will find. Um. But who's doing the seeking? You're going to have to answer that one for yourself, just as I will for me. Am, am I a seeker? Am I diligently seeking him or not? And that will go a long way in exposing and um, seeing these er the various errors that are taught today for what they are, and that is sin. Well, those are my thoughts for today on Second Thessalonians 2. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, I look forward to studying with you next time.